Let's hear what God's word has to say to us in the rest of that chapter from Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 to 48. You have heard that it was said to the people of old, long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you still are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you, that the truth you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard what that it is said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye cause you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, Do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, or from by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants you wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your coat also. 
If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it is said, love your neighbour, hate and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? If you Are you not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brethren, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We ask God to bless those words to our hearts. As we uh, come before the Lord's word, let's come before him and ask his grace and blessing and guidance. Uh, To be called to be perfect, to see as perfect, is not a small thing. In fact, it's an impossible thing. Um, It reminds us that we need to fall upon the grace of God. Let's start with prayer. Father, we give you thanks for your unfailing love and kindness to us and for your grace made available to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, as we come to your word now, we're mindful that we are sinners and we fall short in so many ways, not just in overt sin, but in sins of commission, things that we should have done that we haven't done, things we should have said that we haven't said, and things that we have said that we shouldn't have said. Father, we ask your forgiveness for this and for the lukewarmness and lack of love and seriousness We know that we live but a brief time here on earth and that eternity is infinitely more important and yet we get so distracted with the things of earth. We ask forgive us. We also ask that you'd be gracious to us this morning, that you'd encourage us through your word, that you'd speak to us, that you'd rebuke us, but you'd also lift us up and encourage us. For those who stand outside your kingdom this morning, we pray open the door to them and draw them in and for all of us, draw us to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I uh, was thinking about what topic to follow this morning. I could have followed on from Chris in the, uh, in the um, series on Ephesians, but I thought it was better that we take a, a brief break. So I was looking for a topic that would fit in with that series. But also I was drawn back to a, a topic which is a, a favourite topic or a favourite passage of Scripture. Uh, all of Scripture is valuable, but there are some passages of Scripture that in in some ways are more valuable in that we should return to them more often. And the Sermon on the Mount is one of those passages of Scripture that we should go back to again and again and again, Uh, in part because it's a reality check. It reminds us of what's really important and of where we stand and what we should be doing. I've also got a selfish reason for going back to this topic. I said it was a favourite topic, but it's also... uh, the, The reality is every time I come to preach, I always feel apprehension 
not so much because of the technical business of preaching, but more because of the obvious truth that I stand before you as a hypocrite uh, telling you how to live and what to believe, but I can't do it myself. And so when I'm thinking of preaching, I'm always thinking of how to encourage myself and I'm drawn to passages that, that speak to me. So as much as anything, I'm, I'm preaching to myself and uh, I'm reminded that it's easy to get distracted in achievements and impressing people uh, and it's important to get back to this reality check and to the grace of God. After I decided that we'd look this morning at, uh, at Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes, uh, I happened to hear on the radio an interview with David Brooks. I don't know if many of you know David Brooks. He writes for the New York Times. The New York Times is uh, a uh, left-of-centre newspaper, a very good newspaper, but left-of-centre. David Brooks is a conservative. He's right-of-centre. He grew up in New York. He's Jewish, uh, not practising, so he's not particularly religious. But a theme of his writing regularly is questions of morality and character and you know, what, what, what makes society work. And uh, he's a gifted writer and it's always a joy to go back to his uh, writing for that reason. There's many things we can learn from many different people. Uh, and his latest book came out in April, was called The Road to Character, picks up an earlier work that he's been doing. And he said, recently I've been thinking about the difference between the resume virtues and the eulogy virtues. And I think you can see how gifted a communicator he is. You know, how can we measure a life? One way to measure a life is when we're dead, which is a little bit late to be um, making amends and a little bit late to be checking how we're going. Um, so it's good to think in advance of our eulogy, uh, not that we should be fixated on the opinion of others, but really, is this not the test of a good life? Uh, John and, and Chris um, have the blessing been the burden of conducting many funerals, but I'm sure they could tell you that the measure of a life is how it's seen by others at the end of life. Of course, the real measure of a life is not just how our peers and our family and friends see us, but before how our maker sees us when we come before him, and that's, that's what we've really got to think about, because that's all that really matters. But anyway, uh, those are the so-called eulogy virtues, questions of character, um, what do we put on our CV or our Facebook page or our LinkedIn page? All sorts of things about qualifications and achievements and credentials. And, you know, we spend most of our waking day working towards those things, uh, whether they're professional or whether they're personal, whether they involve, uh, I don't know, publications or selfies. It's all the same thing. We, we worry about impressing people with our achievements. Uh, and Brooks said that, he came to write this book because he was aware that there's something wrong with our society. In fact, you know, what he said uh, resonates very much with me because I see quite a lot of myself in Brooks. Um, he said, uh, I'm paid to be a narcissistic blowhard, to volley my opinions, to appear more confident about them than I really am and to appear smarter than I really am, to appear better and more authoritative than I really am. Um, I'm sure if you ask my family, they'd tell you that's a perfect description of me. Uh, but at least uh, he, has, he has the self-awareness to recognise how distracted we get um, and, and how caught up we get in this question of impressing the world around us. And so he, he comes to write this book and his book is really about um, personal character. It's about how kind, how brave, how honest, how faithful we are. Uh, that's what really matters. Uh, there's many other things I could say about this book and I commend it to you. It's not a religious book, it's not a Christian book, but it's, it's good food for thought. 
Um, in summary, he says, we live in a culture that teaches us to promote and advertise ourselves and to master the skills required for success, uh, but it gives us little encouragement to humility, sympathy and honest self-confrontation which are necessary for building character. I'll come back to Brooks later on. I think he's right. Um, but I think that, that there's more to this than what he or others can offer us. And I believe that the Beatitudes speaks to uh, what can be offered. We've, we've read Matthew 5, we've gone through uh, these eight blessings, uh, we've looked at uh, what it's being called to. We find uh, a similar kind of account from probably the same historical uh, occasion, uh, or possibly something like it, uh, when Jesus was standing on the hillside there at the Sea of Galilee and preaching, um, in the account in Luke chapter 6, there are eight blessings. And there's also sort of, uh, sorry, there's the eight blessings in Matthew, there's four blessings in Luke, and there's four sort of counters to it. In other words, um, it's good if you're poor because you will, if you know, if you have poor in spirit, uh, but if you are rich now, uh, then you've already received your comfort. Um, it's good to be fed now, but if that's all you have, um, uh, you'll go hungry when it really counts. It's good to laugh now, uh, but if that's all you have, you will mourn and reap when it comes to the reality check. And it's nice when everyone speaks well of you, but if that's all that there is in your account and your life, um, then uh, that's a false hope if you depend upon uh, what people say about you. The Sermon on the Mount, we, we don't know how long it went on for. Uh, it, it wasn't a conventional sermon, as you get nowadays on Sunday mornings in, in, in churches. Um, I'm not going to make this an excuse for a long-winded sermon, but, I mean, Jesus was probably preaching for an hour or two or three. Uh, it wouldn't have been structured in the way we structure sermons. He wouldn't have had PowerPoint, uh, although he did have kind of PowerPoint with illustrations, lots of practical, pithy illustrations from life. Uh, and... He begins with these pithy, paradoxical uh, presentations of, of Beatitudes, Beatitudes from the Latin, blessings in, in, in English. Um, he didn't use that language, but it's picking up the language um, that he was speaking in. Um, paradoxical statements and then unpacking them. And the account we have, as, as Matthew wrote it up many, many years later, inspired by the Spirit of God, goes over three chapters of the New Testament. So Matthew 5, 6 and 7. Uh, and if we want to understand what those eight pithy paradoxical statements are talking about, we need to look at the sort of the broader context. So just very, very briefly, we have those eight blessings. He then talks about, you heard in, in, in the Bible reading in, in Matthew 5, um, the fact that it's not just a question of character being hidden in a mystical way. It has to be a lamp on a stand. It's a city on a hill. Um, we are the salt of the world. In other words, there's a mystical element to this question of character. But it's not all hidden. In fact, if it's real, it can't be hidden. You can't hide a light. You can't hide a city on a hill. Um, it's not some alternative approach to Jewish faith, as Jesus, as a Jewish speaker, was speaking to his listeners. It's the fulfilment of the law. It's not doing away with the law. Uh, it's a scary fulfilment of the law because he said, look, you know that it's against the law to murder, but I'm saying to you, if you hate your brother or sister... And by hate he means if you've got a, a grumble about them, if you, if you whisper in private about them, you better go and be reconciled because that is murder. I mean, he sets the bar very, very high. Uh, the same thing when it comes to, to lust and adultery. Uh, and even though we are not called to legalism, he was calling his followers to something beyond legalism 
we respect the law. We put limits on our behaviour. We don't literally rip out an eye or cut off a hand, um, but we make choices about limits because we want to uh, obey the law. We give our word and we can give all sorts of fancy promises, but he says really it's a question of integrity. Uh, That's what we're being called to. And at at the root of all this, it's about the heart. It's about forgiveness and love. It's about a righteousness that uh, isn't hypocritical. I mean, we do some of our religious life in public, that's fine, but we need to be very careful that we don't go out of our way to be seen praying on street corners. Um, If we are deciding in an irregular way to fast, it's between us and God. We don't have to uh, tell everyone else about this. If we uh, are burdened with a matter in prayer, God will hear our prayers. We don't have to seek the approval of others. Uh, Otherwise, we have that horrible, black, uh, ironic comment that Jesus makes that um, those who have been praying on street corners and have the approval of men already have their reward. Uh, What a shallow thing that is. We have to uh, recognise that where our eyes look, where our treasure is, there our heart will be, and that determines our whole character and the whole course of our life. We have to be careful lest we judge others because we'll be judged by the same measure and yet we have to be discerning. We have to recognise that when we ask our father for something, we have to have faith that he will give it to us. A father and mother gives good things to their children when they ask and we have to trust that's what our Heavenly Father will do. And we have to know that true religion, yes, it's a mystical thing, uh, but it's not a hidden thing. Uh, If it's a true fruit tree, it will bear fruit. If it's bearing thorns, it's not a true fruit tree. And that's how, uh, that's how true religion will be judged. It's the way we're told is narrow, we must enter by the narrow gate. So that's the kind of perhaps many hour sermon that, uh, that the, the teaching period that Jesus had with his, um, his followers on, there on the hillside. Many who were close to him and, and perhaps many hundreds others who were just coming along and just beginning to understand what he was talking about. So let's break it down. Um, he says, first of all, Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. Now you know the counter, the meek will inherit the earth. Uh, Those who mourn now will be comforted. Uh, Those who are poor in spirit now, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's he saying? Well, it's it's really talking about humility. And this is, uh, I'm sure David Brooks would agree with this, but but I think it's been revealed to us in our faith Uh, something that goes beyond what he was writing about, we cannot depend upon ourselves. Uh, When we really think about what we're being called to, be perfect as your father is perfect, we we can't do this ourselves. It's beyond our capacity to do anything. Uh, We're reminded that we depend completely upon the grace of God. doesn't matter how good we are or how experienced we are in our Christianity, how many years we've walked, at the end of the day, it's all nothing were it not for the grace of God. And because of the grace of God, we can have confidence. Uh, so we, we look to him and to him alone, and we look in faith to the certainty of his grace, and we trust in his promises to us. And that's why we have this paradox. We are meek and we're humble and we know that we're wretched, and yet we're not despairing and giving up hope because we, we know that it doesn't depend upon us, it depends upon God. We lift up our eyes to the mountains, as the psalmist said. Where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's the basis for our trust. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, I could do a, a quick straw poll and ask you to put your hands up, but I won't. But how many of you, let me just ask rhetorically, how many of you are happy with your faith and your religious walk and, um, you know, you think you've pretty much got it nailed or you've reached a kind of stable level of maturity? Uh, how many of you feel completely that you, you haven't really made sense of Christian faith at all, of true religion, and that you stroll and that you, again, day after day, Ask God for his grace because you know that you're falling short. Well, the, the irony is the more God reveals of himself to us and the more he reveals of ourselves to us, uh, the more wonderful he is and the more we realise how far we fall short. And that would be the stuff of nightmares were it not for the fact we have the certainty uh, of God's grace. And so as we recognise that we desperately need God's righteousness and his grace, we also have the peace that passes all understanding that he will fulfill that and, and, and that he, on the one hand he's already redeemed us and already in his eyes we are his children and uh, his people and stand with our account cleared with no debt um, and uh, we can go with confidence to judgment day but also as we think of judgment day we, we do know that we'll be called to account for our lives and the only basis for confidence that we can live a meaningful and decent life is because of God's grace. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We're told that true religion means that a, true, a, a tree bears fruit true to its form. A fruit tree bears fruit, good or bad fruit, abundant or not. A thorn bush bears thorns, because that's what it is. It's a thorn bush. Um, the truth will out. This is a deeply uh, mystical passage about the heart, the hidden heart, and true religion being practiced in private and God alone seeing our hearts. Uh, you know, there are, there are folk who, in the eyes of people around them, uh, might have a high office and yet God sees differently. Some of the first will be last and some of the last will be first. Some of the people we regard as least significant in the kingdom of God will be most significant. So there's a mystical aspect. There's also the reality that if we have uh, true faith and are seeking after God, it will manifest itself. Uh, so we can't talk about Christian love if we aren't peacemakers. There's no point in pious language talking about love and, and so on if in our day-to-day -day interactions we do not pull ourselves up when it comes to gossip and slander and if we do not recognise that, well, somebody has slapped me over the face but now's the time to be gracious and turn the other cheek and not get my revenge. They've asked me for something unreasonable, like the uh, centurion asking the, the poor peasant farmer to carry his um, heavy equipment for a mile. I'll carry it for an extra mile. Um, true faith reveals itself in, uh, in behaviour uh, that speaks of... Uh, of what God has called us to be. We, we must live after the heart of God because he has called us uh, to live like him. Be perfect as he is perfect. It seems an impossible request and yet it's what we're called to. When he says be perfect, therefore as your heavenly father is perfect, he's not talking about mathematics, thank goodness. In other words, it's not you must aim for 100%, which sounds a little bit like certain, I don't know, let me say Chinese mothers that I'm familiar with. Um, what, you only got a distinction? You lost two marks. What happened? Uh, no, it, it's not talking about that sort of perfection. What he's saying is be complete. 
be, uh, have integrity, be what you should be. Uh, one, of, uh, one of my favourite words, which um, David Brooks would have been well familiar with growing up, is mensch. How many of you are familiar with the word mensch? Any, any hands? You can raise your hands this time. Anyone? No, no, no one has come across mensch at all? Well, you can see that's probably not a great device for communication in this context, but, you know, sometimes learning a new word is useful. Mensch is from the low German. It it means man or or woman, a a person. Um, It's a little bit like the Australian word bloke, as in good bloke, as in fair dinkum, right? It means somebody who is, yes, made by their creator, a fallen creature, and yet called to become all that they were made to be. And when somebody lives a life like that, when they are the salt of the earth, as, as we hear here in the Sermon on the Mount, um, when they are a good bloke, or woman, it means it's gender neutral, um, when they really are decent and gracious and giving and reliable, and really we say this is what the Creator made human beings to be in Yiddish culture, because Yiddish uh, is, the mention is a Yiddish word from the Low German. So the community in New York would use this word, uh, and you may pick it up, therefore, in popular culture coming out of New York. A mention is just somebody who is a genuine human being. Um, other languages have other ways of saying it. In, in Arabic, it would be insan kamil, to be a perfect human being, to be the person that the Creator made us to be. We're called to bear witness. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, blessed are you when people insult you, not because you're a schmuck, not because, that's another Yiddish word, by the way, not because you're being stupid and, you know, um, priggish and, and, and legalistic, uh, but they insult you and persecute you and say falsely all kinds of things against you because of me. Jesus is because of me. In other words, because of, of, of God himself, uh, because of the Lord. Uh, and, and, you know, Christians can suffer criticism partly because they are being silly and they're being priggish and, and, and difficult um, and there's no pride in that and there's no grace in that. Uh, but Christians can be absolutely turning up the cheek, being, going the extra mile, um, uh, being forgiving, uh, being really genuine people and yet people say out of envy, out of a sense of insecurity, untrue things against them. Now, if that's the case, we're told that we should be encouraged because that was the way that all of God's messengers, all of the prophets had been treated. And, of course, that was the way Jesus himself was treated. He was crucified shortly after this. And we know that, really, uh, as long as we can be confident it's not our own failing that has annoyed people, but rather it's because uh, we are trying to be true to what God has called us to, we can be encouraged. Our light and momentary troubles... Uh, are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs uh, them all. So we're fixing on the things which are unseen, which are eternal, not the things which are seen. So it it really doesn't matter if you miss out on a promotion or if your teacher marks you harshly or uh, somebody slanders you and something happens in work. Uh, I mean, it, it, it does hurt, it does matter, but if it's not because of something you've done foolishly, but if it is because of something that in the providence of God, he's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a burden he's called you to bear in his name, uh, then it's an honour. And, and whatever the price, it'll be well, well worth it uh, at the end of life. Um, we're also reminded that uh, all of this is impossible in ourselves. It's not something that we can 
we can somehow, through discipline and training and practice, achieve. If we really look into these truths, you know, we've got to come away, and it's, it's good sometimes to look through Matthew 5, but also look through 6 and 7, um, just sort of ponder over those truths, recognise, gosh, if, if murder is really about saying an unkind word, if it's kind of that, you know, what we might dismiss as being the smallest kind of hatred, if adultery is to look lustfully, uh, if we're judged by the same way uh, we judge others, um, we're hopeless. I mean, we're in a hopeless predicament. How can we possibly be good enough to please God? Well, that's the whole point. Um, Jesus is saying he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets to fulfil it. Um, he says that the fulfilment comes through grace. The grace that we're called to uh, is a grace that will um, require of us a level of religion which goes beyond human religion. So the Pharisees were the legalists, the Sadducees were the philosophers, the, the liberals, and he said to this group of people, most of whom would have been peasants and farmers and fisher folk and just ordinary folk, um, you've got to be more righteous, you've got to be better you've got to be more true in your religion than those people there in high office. And this is what Brooks was calling us back to, saying the world has got it wrong. You know, the world judges on our CV virtues. It judges us on our achievements and our credentials and what people say about us. It judges us on our Facebook likes, on our fashion, on, you know, everything else. Um, But that's not the way God sees us. So Brooks was completely right. Character matters more than achievement. And the uptake, you know, the takeout from that is that we have to spend more time working on character. And that means a little less time getting hung up on achievement. I mean, there's a place for study, obviously. There's a place for credentials. There's a place for um, achieving things. But that can't be our priority. But the trouble with, with Brooks is that he's speaking to us in a way that's true. It's speaking of truth. It's God has put this truth into our hearts for all of us to discover. Uh, I don't believe it's a false uh, piece of advice. But he doesn't give us a way of finding this grace. He doesn't give us a way of living up to this standard. He talks in his book about discipline and focus. And all of that is true as far as it goes. But it's not sufficient. Uh, We can't simply pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And we must not think that we can. We must not think that religion is just about trying harder and being more disciplined. There's a place for all of that. But running through the Sermon on the Mount is this message of grace. When Jesus said he's come not to um, abolish the law but to fulfil it, the fulfilment he's speaking of is the fulfilment of grace. The law was brought in so that trespass might increase. What does he mean by that? This is, of course, from Romans 5. What it means is that we become more aware of how far we fall short. So sin has increased. Sin actually hasn't increased. It's just that our awareness of it has increased. We become more aware of just how far we we fall short. Grace has increased all the more. Uh, So that just as sin reigned in death, we were estranged from God, cut off from God. That's what's referred to as really the primary meaning of death here, to be dead to God and to truth. Grace must reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our law, our Lord. So, at the end of the day, we come back to this truth that uh, yes, we are in a hopeless situation, but God does not intend to leave us there. Uh, God has been gracious to us, and He's reached out to us, 
Out of his fullness we've received grace in place of grace already given. The law came through Moses, uh, but that couldn't save us. The rights and wrongs, they remain true. Um, but God, who none of us can see or know, uh, and we worship here on Sunday, but we still don't see or know him, and we don't hear his voice except through scripture, and then it's kind of diffuse. But he has revealed himself through Jesus. Now, we don't see Jesus either, but because we read about how he lived, and we have the words of scripture about what he taught, including the Sermon on the Mount, God has revealed himself uh, in this era in a way that wasn't clear before. So in the Old Testament period, people had a certain amount of grace and, and, and knowledge revealed to them, but the details were still very diffuse. God has made his plan clear. Now, there's a deep, deep mystery that you'll be, uh, I think, somewhat comforted to realise that we're at the end of our sermon and there's no more time left to go into deep mysteries, um, much as I'm tempted to do so. Uh, we say that when Christians talk about the Incarnation and the Trinity and suggest that we know what we mean by them and we can explain them, then we're, we're wrong. We don't really understand this mystery. I don't really understand how the God who created this world entered into his own creation and revealed himself. I don't understand how the Creator became the Saviour. I don't even understand the language of the Son of God um, or, or how Son and Father and Spirit um, are separate but one. It's a deep, deep mystery, but we hang on to that mystery in faith. Why? Because it's true and revealed to us, and because we hang on to it desperately because it is the rope that will haul us out of the pit. It is the ladder that will lift us up out of the despair that we're in. It's our only way out. We hang on to this because of the grace of God, and God is revealing his grace to us. He's revealed his grace to us particularly through uh, the word of God made flesh through Jesus, we know as the son of God, um, deep, deep mystery there. But he's saying, I haven't left you alone with just the law telling you how to live. I haven't just told you uh, that you can be better than you are. I haven't just called you to live a true life. I've also come into this world and given you the means of doing so. And that's, that's the joy of Christianity. Um, it's a pity that Christians are so often obnoxious and smug because that's completely contrary to this gospel message the gospel message is saying we all of us are sinners Christians are non-Christians but the difference is we have the privilege of it being revealed to us the means of grace and our job as Christians apart from worshipping God and, and, and living faithfully being a light on the hill loving others, forgiving others our job is to speak of the, the hope that we have and the, and the reasons for the hope that we have and we don't understand the technicalities, we don't understand the deep mysteries, but we know that David Brooks is right. The CV virtues really, at the end of the day, are superficial and passing, will be dead, the CV will be dead, Facebook page will be offline, people will forget who we are, um, our maker won't, we'll stand before him. If we have lived a good life, our friends and loved ones at our funeral will say some nice things about our character because that's what really counts. Um, but it's the way that our Father, when he receives us in his presence, will recognise uh, how we have lived that's really going to matter. Have we made use of the gifts he's given us? Have we lived as he's called us to live? And the reality is that same creator who we give account to is the, uh, is the divine being, the saviour, who gives us the grace and the means of living as he calls us to live. And that's the joyous news. 
If God was just saying, I'm righteous, here is the law, here is how you must live, and you fall short, he would be entirely right in doing so. I mean, no one could criticise the Creator for doing that, but it would leave us in a terrible situation. But he hasn't done that, thank God. He said, here is how I am, here is how I want you to be like me. You can't do it yourself, but I've made it possible through my grace. Uh, I've sent uh, my son Jesus into the world. Uh, The word has become flesh. I've reached out. He's died on the cross. He's paid a price that you can't pay. Uh, But it's not just abstract. It's something, a grace that comes to you every day of your life. And so when you do meet a Christian who... uh, shows amazing capacity for forgiveness and for love, uh, despite how they're treated, recognise it's the grace of God at work in that person. And, and may that person be us by the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your wonderful uh, love and goodness to us. We do ask your forgiveness that we fall short and constantly disappoint you and, and, and forget your goodness to us. We also ask, Father, that you forgive us because we are so often like both the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that we are legalistic and self-righteous and we're falsely proud of things for which we can claim no credit and we fail to love and to forgive, to turn the other cheek and to go the extra mile. Father, you know the true state of our heart. We just thank you that it doesn't rest with that, that you've also atoned for our sins and paid the price, drawn us to yourself and that every day, day by day, you give us the grace so that we can love as we should love and that we can be a light on a stand and a city on a hill. Forgive us for falling short and for not availing ourselves of grace. Encourage us now and help us to go out and to find your grace in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.